0: Let's just bow a word of prayer, can we? Let's see, is that working? Yeah. Lord, we we have gathered here this morning with a great deal of joy. And we pray, Father, that your word would even cause our joy to rise up and to overflow. Or may we rejoice today in who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've come together today not to criticize the evil ways of our culture. Not to blame the world for our problems. Although, sometimes we like to do that. Not to talk about the games yesterday. Not to complain about the needs we have our hurts and our exasperations. No, we've gathered this Lord's Day to worship and honor and praise the living God who has redeemed us from darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to never, never lose sight of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, this word great is is overused a lot. I was asking Julie in the way here, how would you define great? Of course, we were headed to church, so she gave me a really good answer. (laughs) I can't, I can't. Yes. <laughs> um, the word great if you look it up the dictionary uh, of an extent or an amount or intensity considerably above the normal or average you know, I want to use the word great in a little bit different manner I want to talk about some other ways to think about greatness but, you know, you know we, we use the, Greek, the word great all the time. And so here in Psalm 86, just let's look at eight, 8 to 10, verses 8 through 10. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So to, King David wrote this. after to wonder, what was King David talking about here? Verse 10 says, you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. This, word, this verse gives the reason that all the nations are going to come and bow down before him and glorify him. Because he's great and has done wondrous things. And his greatness is also the reason for verse 8. If You look back at verse 8. That there is none like him among the gods. And so if we think about the word great, it's above normal or above the average. We can say, well, geez, God is greater than all the other gods. <laughs> He's above average of all the gods. Well, that's not what we mean. In other words, God's greatness makes him stronger than all the nations of the world, as well as all the gods of the universe. But he rules all other gods and he rules all nations because he is great and does wondrous things. There is none like him. He alone is God. Although every one of us is familiar with this truth. Sometimes, like Pat prayed at the conclusion of worship, we lose sight of it. We lose sight of it. We become burdened down by the things that we hear in this world. We lose sight of who Jesus is, who God is. And we need to be reminded. One thing that we need to be reminded of is that the, the greatness of God is central to all of life. It is the core of your life. You know, one of the things that draws us together in worship every Sunday, every week, is that although we may lose sight of it, each one of us is completely convinced that God is great, and not only great but very great, such that His greatness has no limit. What's more is our belief that this book, that this thought, this truth, is central to our lives. And why else would we get up and come to this park to be with one another and share these hour and a half, two hours together, except for the greatness of our God? This fact is relevant. To everything we think, everything we feel, everything we do, both as individual members of Christ's body and corporately as the body altogether. We understand that recognizing the unparalleled, incomparable, unequalled, unrivaled greatness of God is crucial to spurring us on to continually care for people and to spread the gospel and to rejoice in the Lord. Why is this? Because we believe that every person needs a vision of God's greatness. No matter what country they're from. Mango Tree Church in Zimbabwe needs a vision of God's greatness. They need to know how much they need Jesus and how the great Savior Jesus is. So I want to encourage you today and even persuade you, if possible, (coughs) to, to, to hold on to this truth. That knowing and rejoicing in the greatness of God is utterly relevant for everything you are as a person. It's utterly relevant for your life. The way you relate to your family, the way you relate to your wife or husband, the way you relate to your neighborhood, your co-workers, anybody you relate to. Everything you relate to. All of nature that you relate to. This is relevant to that. I want to propose that if we can better see the greatness of God. If we saw the greatness of God, then we wouldn't be so greedy about and covetous over what other people have. If we saw the greatness of God, our eyes would not stray after lustful images or thoughts. We wouldn't be so easily offended and get hurt so easily in relationships if we saw the greatness of God. We wouldn't get so bad, so bitter or angry with other people or our family if we saw the greatness of God. We wouldn't worry about our looks so much. We wouldn't give in to our appetites and, and in boredom overeat or, or even worse. We wouldn't waste time reading or watching mindless, sordid, defiling movies, TV programs, social media, you name it. That wouldn't have any interest to us. We wouldn't be so discouraged about our evil culture if we truly saw the greatness of God. Now, appreciating the greatness of God brings so many more blessings into our lives. But only as we keep this reality growing in our minds and hearts. That's why we join together on the Lord's day to lift up the Lord Jesus and make him great among us. What we all want is what's promised in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you feel like you're being transformed from one image of glory to another? That's what we want, isn't it? We want to be transformed. And then it says, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we see and admire and pursue the greatness of God, the glory of God, he works to transform us from one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory. Isn't this what you want? Isn't this what you want? Because if you don't want this, I'm not sure I've got a message for you. This is what we all want. So do you look to see the greatness of God? Is this this on your to-do list every day? Let me see if I can find the greatness of God today. What we need more than anything else is to see the glory of God. This is what Moses wanted, isn't it? You You name an Old Testament personality, they wanted to see the greatness of God. You name a New Testament personality, they wanted to see the greatness of God. Why? This is the purpose for which we were created. Now let that sink in. God didn't... It's not like God didn't have a plan when he made us, when he equipped us with the faculties that he gave us. He equipped us that we might experience and know his glory and appreciate it and marvel at it and rejoice in it. Just think how life would be if each person you knew found deep satisfaction in knowing the greatness of God. If every person you knew found great and, and eternal satisfaction in knowing God. So if you've seen God's greatness, then your family and your neighborhood and your co-workers need to see it in you. And what do you think could be an obstacle to that? Is it your, your faith? Is it your love? Is it your knowledge? Your passion? Or is it your weaknesses? God, God loves to reveal his greatness by shining through vessels of clay. And Jesus told Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. So sometimes we think we want to show the greatness of God to others. We need to let them see his greatness in the midst of our weakness. Paul answered this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The issue isn't our capabilities. The issue is, do we want to see it? Do we want to know and experience the greatness of God? Do you desire to behold him in wonder and be taken captive by the glory of his power and his wisdom and his love? Do you want all human power and human human wisdom and human love to lose its dominating power of attraction over you? You This is the issue that undermines our impact in our families and neighborhoods and on the mission field, do we desire to see the greatness of God, of this God who is greater than all other gods? Do you? Look again at verse 8. King David says, it's God's greatness that makes him unique from all other gods. There is none like thee among the gods, O Lord. Paul explains to us in 1 Corinthians 8.5, you don't look it up, that there are many gods and many lords. And in another verse in Corinthians 10.20, he confirms the existence of demons and evil spirits. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he calls Satan the god of this world. So here he, Paul has illuminated the, the spiritual realm for us. That there's all these other spirits and principalities and powers and people call them gods. So in verse 8, David must mean that God is greater than all these angels, demons, spirits, all powers and principalities and world rulers of this present darkness. The spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. God is greater than all them. They are all created. First John 5, 19 adds clarity by warning us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But 1 John 4.4 4 tells us, But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For some reason, God chose to put his chosen people in a world where Satan was the, the local ruler. Now, why would he do that? To reveal his glory to us and to let us be a reflection of that glory to other people. That's why we're here. We're here to be a glory to God. 1 John 4, 4 said, He who is in you is greater than he is the world. And 1 John 3, 8 claims that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Also, we can say is amen. Let's keep this in the forefront of our thinking. This is who we serve. We belong to him. We praise his name forever. Not only did God say all authority is given to him and therefore we're to go. He says he's going to rescue worshipers from every nation. Verse 9 says, all the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. One thing this tells us is that the great commission God gave will never fail. It cannot fail. If you ever get discouraged in serving God, turn to this passage in Matthew 28 and remind yourself, preach to yourself that God cannot and will not lose. He is greater than all the nations and in his greatness, he will bring the nations to himself. The great commission cannot fail. This verse doesn't speak of mere possibilities. It speaks of absolute certainties. This will happen. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you. How many nations has God made? All of them. Every nation, every tribe, every group of people. This is echoed in Matthew twenty-four, fourteen, where Jesus says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come. This is God's will. It will happen. It's also foretold in Psalm 22, 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Sometimes it's hard to, to see that, that God is ruling over the nations. But this is where you have to take the word of God and compare it to your own thoughts and feelings about what you see. What does this all mean? God is great. He is so great that he cannot lose. Even Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus will not be denied his inheritance that was promised to him in Psalm 2, 8. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possessions. Do you get, you get the, what the scripture is getting at here? If you go to a Thors or something like that would tell you about the, the, the words in the Bible and look up great or greatness, you'll be amazed at the number of times you see it listed. When you hear of Jesus, is this the Jesus that comes to your mind? The ruler of nations. The one that every nation will come and bow before him. The one who receives worship from every nation. The one who possesses every nation. The one whose church shall prevail against hell itself. I want to know him like this. I think all of us want to know Jesus like this. This is who he is. Not that we might be glorified, but that he might be glorified. We want to know him like this, but sometimes the depths and riches of his nature remain elusive. So today I want to look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one, verses one through actually, I think we'll go through verses one through five to see some amazing truths about the greatness of Jesus, which will help us to see him larger every time we look to him. My goal is that every time you think of Jesus and look to him, he's bigger than he was before. He's more superior than he was before. He looms ever greater in your sight and in your estimation and in your worship. The greatness of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Our God may be invisible, but he is not silent. Thank God. Through the ages, he has been regularly revealing himself to mankind. Hebrews 1 tells us that in times past, on numerous occasions and in different ways, God spoke to man through the prophets. God's revelation through the prophets was somewhat measured, somewhat occasional, but it it was progressive. It kept revealing more things about God. It continued over centuries as he spoke to men by dreams and visions, by ordinances, by angels, and even by the spirit of prophecy. That's great. But in these last days, Hebrews says that God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. Now, consider the greatness of the one the father would choose to reveal himself exactly to all mankind. The one the father chose to present his own majesty and glory to us. Just suppose you wanted to represent yourself to someone else. And this someone else was someone that you wanted to bestow a glory greater than they had ever known or even ever deserved. Who would you choose to represent you to someone else? Someone that you loved, someone that you cared for, someone that you had always loved and wanted to promise an eternal future to. Who would you choose to represent yourself? To those who wanted, who needed, a, you wanted to bestow a glory upon them that was greater than they'd ever known or could ever deserve. This is important for us to ask about this thing about glory. Because it's glory that we need, isn't it? What do I mean by this? Well, we look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think about it this way. We have a glory deficit because we disobeyed God. Each one of us has fallen short of measuring up to the glory of God. Our race has failed God's command to love and obey Him. And not only did we fall short of it, we made a wicked swap. We exchanged the offer of God's glory to us through obedience for man-made ideas and images. Romans one twenty-two to 25 tells us, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen, he says. We need glory. Not only do we need glory, we need to be glorious ourselves. Where do you go? What do you do when you need pure, unadulterated glory to measure up to God? Where do you go? Can you go to your neighbor and borrow a cup of glory? Maybe you need more than a cup. Maybe you need a gallon of glory. Maybe you need a tanker, a railroad tanker. Maybe you need an ocean full of glory to measure up to God. Maybe you need a universe of glory. How much glory do you need to measure up to God? There's only one place to go. (laughs) There's only one way to get the glory you need to measure up to God. There's not many ways to God. There's one way. There's one source of glory for us. If you want to know exactly what the eternal and almighty God is like in all his glory, fix your eyes on the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he not only radiates the glory of God to us, he offers to freely share with us the same full glory with us. When he puts a robe of righteousness on us and says we are clean because of his sacrifice Now we've got the glory we need. There's only one place to go. These first few verses of Hebrews show us facets of the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Here and in other places, we find that Jesus is superior to the greatest prophets, superior to the angels, superior to the priests, superior to the kings, and he's greater than the temple. Our Lord is indeed superior to and greater than anyone in anything. We see his greatness in relationship to the universe. Think about the universe. I know Jessica loves to see the stars. Jason, too. Those galaxies. Maybe maybe you've seen those pictures from the Hubble telescope. Far off galaxies and the, the pillars of creation and all these things that they've named. And they talk about how far they are and how distant they are and the temperatures involved and all these things just... And then we read the Bible, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. But look at this verse 2 and verse 3 of Hebrews 1. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I want to point out three things from this. He is the heir of all things. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the chosen one who will inherit all things. As sovereign of the Lord of the universe. The world belongs to him. So it is right that he would receive all things. And amazingly. He has chosen to share this inheritance with those who call upon his name. Hebrews 3, 6 tells us that God is our portion by saying this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through this gospel message the faith that he's given us, we become co-heirs with Christ. He is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16 tells us, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You know, Jesus didn't have a beginning at Bethlehem. He was present before the world began. In fact, he is the one through whom creation was made. And he upholds all things. That is, he holds all things in, in the universe together by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let me ask. You know, we know energy is, co- is a consumable thing, right? It takes, you put gas in the car, you burn the gasoline and it takes you to another place, but then the tank is empty. You got to get more gasoline. But well, where did the gasoline came from? Come from? Came from oil. Well, where did the oil come from? Well, it came from somehow plants. They think <coughs> decomposed and. Well, where did the plants come from? Well, the sunlight. Where did the energy from the sun come from? Well, it's hydrogen atoms combining to form helium atoms. Well, how did that happen? You should work work your way back. Where does does the energy for gravity take place? If I take this thing and drop it, it's going to what? Fall. That took energy to move that thing from here to there. Where did that energy come from? And why doesn't that energy ever run out? I could drop this a billion times, and every time I dropped it, I, I turned loose of it, it would fall. And no we would we would say, How did where did the energy come from to do that? Where does it, where does the energy come from to hold the moon in orbit around the earth? Or the earth around the sun? Christ holds all things together. you know, my favorite, that's not even my favorite. My favorite is the strong and the weak forces inside the atom that holds an atom together. Because it doesn't work the way it should. I mean, the proton is positive and the electron is negative and they should collapse. Opposites attract. But the protons live together in in the core and they should repel each other and they don't. So there's a strong force that holds the protons together then there's a weak force that holds the electrons away from that. Where does that come from? And why does it ever get tired? Because Jesus holds it together. He's the heir of all things, the creator of all things. He holds all things together. It's in Jesus that we live and move and have our being. So that's the greatness of God in relationship to the universe. We can also see his greatness in relationship to the father himself. Who is this that created all things and upholds all things and is heir of all things? Well, it says his son. His son. You know, Jesus is God's son. He is unique in that he is the only begotten son of the living God. And that's another whole message about the word begotten. He is the begotten eternal second person of the Trinity. One in essence with God. And then it says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Now, what is radiance? Radiance is one of those words we all know exactly what it is until somebody asks us to define it. Then we think, oh, wait a minute, what is is radiance? The woman was radiant as she came down the aisle to get married. Is that what you mean? The sun is radiant in the sky. At noon. I can give you other words to, to define it, but it's still difficult. of glory. That still yeah. doesn't help. Yeah, the, the, the simple way to think about it is, is the emitting of light or a quality of glowing. <clears throat> Some translations say he is the brightness. <coughs> but radiance <coughs> is also known as great happiness, That's apparent in someone's expression or their disposition. Jesus radiates the glory of God. Not only is it exactly like the father in his essence, but the way he relates to us is the radiance, his enjoyment. He transports the glory of God to us. Yes, he brings it and makes it visible to us. Jesus radiates this happiness of God in his creation and his grace creation. Moses' face shone. He reflected God's glory. Stephen's face shone as if he was the face of the angel. He too reflected the glory of God. Jesus did more than reflect glory. God's glory radiated in and through him. Let us be faithful believers in Christ so that we might radiate the glory of Christ. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Whoever wrote Hebrews really wanted to make this point clear. He just said he was the radiance and the brightness of him. Now he says he's the exact imprint. The express image, it says in another translation, I believe. Uh, The very essence of God. They're distinct, different persons, yet there is no division in the essence between father and son. It's one God. Even to the point, this representative that that the father chose could say to his disciples, he who has seen me has seen the father. That's how the exact the imprint was. And then finally, in this passage, we see his greatness in relationship to mankind. God revealed himself in his son and his son revealed God to mankind Jesus is God's prophet and his priest and his king. He's also the word. He is both the message and the messenger. And he is declared not only great for who he is, but for what he has done for us. Now what has Jesus done for us? I heard that in a mission trip one time. Somebody said, well, what has Jesus done for me? I said, well, how long do you have? (laughs) We'll talk about it. (laughs) We'll talk about it. What did Jesus do that was great for us? Verse 4. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He made purification for sins. In his own person, by his own shed blood to the point of death, by sacrificing himself on the cross, Jesus took all our sins upon himself. He took the punishment we deserved and made us clean and righteous before God. He obtained glory for us. He achieved forgiveness, salvation and eternal life for all who call upon him. He restored us on the path to glory. Now, we're not glorious yet. There's a there's a. The Bible talks about this chain of salvation of Starting at the beginning, all the way through, glorification. That's at the end. But that's the path we're on, because Jesus made purification for our sins. Then it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Following his resurrection, Jesus ascended through the throne room where He was He was crowned and sat at the right hand of God, the Majesty. Now, satisfied, I mean, sat down means His great work for us was completed. Fully completed. Roger reminded me, I shared this at Crosswave, he says, well, you know, in the Old Testament, the priests never sat down. Their work was never finished. There was always another sacrifice to be made now or again tomorrow. Their work was never finished. This idea of Jesus sitting down. Is a new thought because his work was finished. You know, the cross will not be repeated, but it will be forever praised. Read about the songs they sing in Revelation. You will see that they sing songs about the cross all the time. And then it says, He has an inherited a more excellent name and I ask you to jump down to verse five for this one. Verse 5 adds, in response to Christ's enthronement, For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So what is that more excellent name? He is the Lord, the Son of God. The Lord of all. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is not. Jesus is his name, but that's not the name that they're talking about here for the excellent name. And as the Son of God, as the Lord, he is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 reminds us. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I ask you today to make it your goal in life. To seek and to pursue knowing the greatness of God. I've had a lot of time to think about my next step in life. And I keep coming back to this. What could be better? I know that we have to work. We have to things to take care of. We, we have a lot of commitments and responsibilities. And I think those all come and fit well within this idea of seeking the greatness of God. Because then you see his greatness poured out. In real places, in real people, in real situations all the time. It makes you more useful for his work, not less useful for his work. So I ask you to seek and pursue knowing the greatness of God. And I'll take you back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And let me leave you with this. When we begin to see how great God is, then we will begin to experience life as God designed it. We will both enjoy and share every good gift God has given us. We won't want, we won't covet what other people have. We'll want to share everything good thing that God's given us. Our eyes will not be searching us for lustful things, our eyes will be filled and satisfied with His beauty and His splendor. <coughs> so our whole pursuit will change. We, we can rightly pursue love in our marriage and relationships and not get so easily angered and offended. His peace will root out bitterness and will rule in our lives and our families and our friends as much as we allow. We will, be, we will invest our allotted time filling our mind with excellence, beauty, and truth, not with sordid tales and other things. We will feed our physical appetites with what's nutritious and good and enjoyable. We will accept and develop our God-given gifts and identity. We will accept our God-given identity to serve others. I have to laugh about this whole pronoun thing. Maybe I shouldn't get into it. we <laughs> won't get into it. But I have to laugh. I have to well, I was thinking, well, God chose his pronouns. <clears throat> he already chose his pronouns. And people say, well, God can't, he can't choose those pronouns. He's got to be the pronouns we should say. And I'm thinking, God already chose his pronouns. That's enough. <laughs> um, but as we see the glory of God And the greatness of God, we will accept and then develop the identity that we have in him. In order to serve others. The serving others is an important part of that. And we will contend for and share the faith in the midst of a lost and dying world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Look to somebody and say, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Even on the Zoom call, you are the light of the world. <laughs> we're all on the path, we're not quite there yet. Do you hear what I'm saying? I probably haven't said anything new. You said be a witness. Huh? Be what you're called to be a witness. Yeah. Be who you're made to be. Be who you're made to be. Pray with me. And then Jason's going to come and has a final song. Lord, for some reason that phrase... Oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Lord, I, I just reject that thought. That's not what I'm talking about. Lord, I'm talking about being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, that we might prove and show what is reasonable worship. The the the, the transformation that takes place in us, Lord, not that we might be in an ivory tower, but Lord, that we might be equipped for every good work that you've prepared for beforehand. Whether we might demonstrate the glory of God by who we are and what we say, how we live, how we behave, how we minister, Lord, how we share, how we love. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon us that your greatness is revealed in how Jesus lived among us. How he cared. How he went the extra mile. How he turned the other cheek. Lord, how he, he prayed how he served, how he reached out, how he did things differently, Lord. And Lord, I pray that this pursuit of your glory would not take our, our eyes away from the needs of the moment, but just simply, Lord, equip us to walk in step with you, Lord, to bring your glory to bear in every situation we face. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. And may you speak to us through these, these words.